Well, Gordon Lightfoot for you this morning. Rest in peace to a Canadian legend. Like, legend doesn't even start to really sum it up. Just listening on my drive-in this morning. Were you? Yeah. So, did Jeff Merrick pick this? For sure he did. He's our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Jeff Merrick, host of The Jeff Merrick Show and co-host of 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. Not going to lie to you guys. This one hit me hard last yeah. night. Gordon's always been my guy. Like, oh. uh, Lightfoot music was always on in the Merrick household as a kid. Uh, one of the first shows I ever saw, this would have been in the, the mid-70s. I want to remember. My memory's foggy. I was <laughs> very young, but this is when they used to do outdoor concerts at High Park. Uh, it was Gordon Lightfoot and I believe the Irish Rovers wow. as well. And uh, it's, 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 you know, I've been to... You know how people follow Bruce Springsteen around? Yes. And like, oh, everyone's in like triple. Di- that was me for Gordon Lightfoot. Wow. Like, I've probably seen him 50 or 60 times over the years, just in this like nice little kind of privileged position that I've sort of carved mm-hmm. out. And then uh, in, in sports media, I've got to become good friends with his drummer, Barry Keane. So Barry would you know, always bring me to shows. I can't tell you how many Massey Hall shows uh, I would have seen with uh, with Gordon Lightfoot. Um yeah, this one, this one was a tough one for your boy. Mm. Not gonna lie to you, this was a, this was a hard one last night. Yeah, I mean, being able to see him 50, 60 times is, is pretty incredible, but it's going to hit a lot of people hard this way. It was pretty late last night, too, so I'm not sure if everybody yeah. caught the news, but that's uh, tough. My dad's same boat. He's a huge fan. He yeah. texted me immediately. I was like, wow, like, it's like, I mean, my dad's a little bit older, too, so he kind of grew up with him in his life, so it's really, yeah. really tough, so. Well, my, um, my, my in-laws are from, from Dorset, England, and when they came over, that's what, you know, I was mm. talking to my wife about this when we first met, like, that was always in her house, too, like, Gordon Lightfoot songs, and I can remember, and this was my favorite Gordon Lightfoot memory, burned into my memory for all time, when we were, uh, when we found out, when Claire and I found out that, uh, that she was pregnant, um, we had tickets, and we ended up taking, uh, the in-laws to see Gordon Lightfoot, and then told them later on that. Oh, night, that's really sweet. Oh, yeah. Like, there's so many Canadians, not just Canadians, but mainly primarily Canadians that have so many similar stories about how much Lightfoot provided soundtracks for their entire lives. That's, uh, he's going to be missed. Um, thankfully, I mean, that haunting voice, the beautiful music, I mean, that, that remains forever. Um, those songs stick to you, right? Like, there's something that just, something about his voice that's so beautifully haunting that always, you know, hangs with you forever. And I've been, Listen, humming the same Gordon Lightfoot songs my entire life, but I don't think that that's gonna that's gonna ever change. Well, I know that he's pretty woven into our history and, and our legacy, yeah. and and but I also think the tragically hip are part of that. And uh-huh. it was interesting because I mean, this is my segue, but it it makes sense because the Maple Leafs talked about using them and listening to the tragic hip a lot after yep. the morning of game six and leading into when they finally got over the hump. I think it was Kerfa that said that they were listening to road apples and like really into yep. that. So, I mean, like that's kind of more of my speed. Like I was a big, I'm a big hip person as well, but um, yeah, I think same, that's interesting same. about the, the Maple Leafs finding like a Canadian route to get them through it. And I mean, I, I guess yeah. the question for me to start off is like, they finally did it and we've had a couple of days now before we've been able to talk to you. What have you been I guess, like stewing on or thinking about over the last couple of days in regards to at least getting through this first playoff hump and now in a position to, to make a run for it. I'm really curious to see how they play now. I, I really am because, you know, the, 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 one, the one reality here is, you know, the pianos that all these players have been carrying on their backs are gone. 
right? Like now, mm-hmm. what do they? What how how does this team play now that they don't have the weight of history dragging them down, and you know the the weight of of playoff failure after playoff failure after playoff failure weighing their weighing them down and and dragging, you know, dragging them as as they skate. I mean, I can only imagine what happens in a Maple Leafs player's mind when you're down three nothing at the end of one and you're sitting in that room like what are you are you thinking about the ghosts from you know from so many years ago I don't know but I I I can only imagine that you know that win Saturday John Tavares scores that goal like so much like you want to talk about like release valve moments like in your life in your career all of it where everything just goes oh thankfully (laughs) that's over with We've all had those experiences in our lives. I'm curious what it felt like for those athletes, and I'm curious to see how they play now that they know that at the end of a game, they don't have to answer that question anymore. So I'm really curious to see how this team plays starting tonight. Yeah, it's really interesting, right? Like, how does that release affect how you play, how you approach the game? Does it, mm-hmm. does it, uh, you know, welcome complacency, or is it such an affirmation that hey, everything that we did from you know down to our the basic little nuance of our structure to how we approached certain shifts and how we deployed our lines and how everything that went into it, all of that was validated and i think they've got an interesting opponent because florida as a foil a postseason foil is interesting they have nothing to lose they uh like to play at a high pace they like to play the way the leafs used to play in a lot of ways so how do you think florida matches up against the maple leafs i mean we all think about matthew kachuk um certainly and the one i think the one thing the, the one mistake that the bruins made and it seems as if they wanted to go out of their way not to make this mistake early, but then they got lulled into it. Like they saw the cheese in the trap and they said, nope, not going to grab for it. Nope, not going to grab for it. No, oh, damn it. I'm going to grab this cheese. Um, they let the series become Matthew Kachuk versus the Boston Bruins. And you saw that, you know, you saw that on the Brandon Montour tying goal in, in game seven where Swayman just couldn't resist popping Matthew Kachuk in front of the net and didn't get square to the shot and ended up squeaking through with like a minute left. And you think to yourself, that's a Matthew Kachuk goal. Like all of that is because Matthew Kachuk is standing there and they can't stand him and they're seething and it, it drove them to distraction. I um, Which is why... Okay, let me let me let me dovetail this one, which is why I think that Tampa was the perfect opponent for the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round. Because as we've discussed, and you guys have talked about this too, countless times, as much as the um, the Tampa Bay Lightning are a highly skilled team, and there are players that are going into the Hall of Fame, and maybe a coach is going into the Hall of Fame as well, and you know may, maybe the most successful and, and best team in the salary cap era, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's a lot of pricks on that team, and they're really tough to play against, and they're nasty to play against, and it's Perry, and it's Hagel, and it's Paul, and it's Bogosian, and Victor Hedman can be a real nasty piece of business, as can you know in a sneaky way Nikita Kucherov and Alex Kalorn, and on and on and on and on it's kind of like i can't help but feeling like that's a really wonderful primer to play against a team like the florida panthers who have someone like matthew kachuk on it who can drive you to absolute distraction here's the one thing that i do wonder about about florida at some point at some point we're going to see i would imagine the real alexander barkov because we haven't seen him yet like you know, he's he you know he's been he's been criticized for oh soft skill, soft skill, soft skill. I get it. He's one of the most skilled players in the NHL. If we start to get a playoff version of Alex Barkov, 
then we really have a series here. Um, I think that second line is real tough. I think Sam Bennett uh, is going to be a handful. I think now that you're playing, that the Florida Panthers are playing on a stage where you know the media lights are, are on the other team, and I think if you don't, if people don't understand now just how good someone like Aaron Ekblad is. Uh, you're going to get a couple of eyeballs full of, of Aaron Ekblad to say nothing of, of Sergei Bobrovsky, who, you know, at times has kind of, you know, he's kind of had this like uh, toilet seat of the stag and doe career up and down, up and down, up and down. <laughs> but when Bobrovsky's on, man, like Bobrovsky can be real good. Like this is the same goaltender that, you know, scotched the Tampa Bay Lightning after they won the President's Trophy in uh, in, in four games straight. So fascinating series. I think the worst thing the Maple Leafs can do is do what Boston did and let Matthew Kachuk drive them to distraction because make no mistake about it, he'll try. He'll try for sure. Yeah, that 10 million will be worth it if it's two and a half weeks versus the Maple Leafs and Boston Bruins here uh, for the Florida Panthers and Sergei Bobrovsky. Yeah. Uh, big news yesterday with Daryl Sutter. Out in Calgary, yep. uh, he follows uh, Bradshaw Living out of Calgary. Um, yep. Is this a decision made exclusively by the locker room? I think uh, that's a great question. I, th- I think a large part of it is. Uh, I really do. I think that, um, first of all, I don't think people should be surprised at the uh, the nature of the content in the exit interviews. I mean, this is one of those exit interview uh, seasons where, you know, the Calgary Flames, you know, needed every player to be completely honest about what happened, how they felt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I wonder if Daryl Sutter himself was a little bit surprised. I don't know how he could be. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a little bit, I, I know, like, <laughs> secrets out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Daryl Sutter, challenging coach to play for. I, I you know, what I th- you know, I, I thought about this a lot, Justin. I, I, I think that um, it just wasn't. Not that you have to have fun when you go to work every single day, but when you go to work every day and there's a dark cloud over the entire rink, um, it, 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 it can't help but affect your performance. And there was nothing fun about playing with the Calgary Flames, specifically this year under under Daryl Sutter. You know, this was like the complete opposite of of, of Bruce Boudreaux in Vancouver, who makes you know a lot of fun to come to the rink. Mm-hmm. This is the com- this is the complete pendulum swing the other way. So. I think most of it, it's a really good question. I think most of it is player driven and the exit interviews revealed a lot. And I think as well, one of the the sidebars to all of this um, is all that information got right up to the owner's box and got right up to the owner's level. Because sometimes, as we've seen in the past, if an owner decides he likes a coach, for example, a lot of people around that owner whose job is to tell the owner what's happening with the organization. If you know the owner really likes this coach, sometimes maybe for your own job security, maybe you, uh, I don't know, maybe you, uh, you you shine it up a little bit as you present the information and you don't make it as, as bad as it actually is. I think the full, I think the full Daryl Sutter dossier was presented to uh, to Murray Edwards here and it became obvious that there was uh there was there was no way they could uh, they could they could go back and listen Don Maloney talked about talking to um whether it was players or agents or staff like training staff other staff around the bill like this was this was a pretty exhaustive uh, interview process before Maloney you know presented the information and they made that decision so this isn't just based on well you know what we had a big investment in Jonathan Huberto he had a bad season so let's get rid of the coach it goes a lot lot deeper than that so where are you at with what's going on with the Winnipeg Jets then because it's it's interesting that 
the post fallout has been uh, similarly tense. Um, players speaking in the media, Blake Wheeler yep. kind of saying that I didn't like how the coach handled himself. And then yesterday there's that, uh, I guess this email from Rick bonus to the jets fans. It's like kind of doubling down on, you know, we were fine, but we just lost game five. Like it's just kind of a bit messy over there in Winnipeg. And I wonder what happens next drama. Love drama, <laughs> drama, 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 drama. Uh, Kevin Cheveldayoff, we've talked about this before. Kevin Cheveldayoff, as a general manager of the Winnipeg Jets, might have the toughest job as a GM of, of any GM <laughs> in the league. It's not exactly easy to get people to go to play in Winnipeg. Um, and that's why when they identify, you know, core pieces, they lock them up long term. Um, and this is going to be another really challenging year for Kevin Cheveldayoff. I think he knows that, you know, Rick Bonus and certain players on that team can no longer coexist. And I think Blake Wheeler's probably one of them. I don't think I'm, I don't think that's hot take for your morning show here at all. It's, it's a pretty obvious one. Um, I think Connor Hellebuck really uh, sent a message around the NHL on Saturday when he talked about not wanting to be part of a rebuild. Like, here's someone who's going to get Vesna trophy consideration this year. I mean, how many teams could use a goaltender? Maybe Los Angeles, I'm looking your direction. Hmm. Um, you know, Connor Hellebuck sort of alerted the NHL that he's available and he's not interested yeah. in what the uh, the Winnipeg Jets are going to go through. So I think um, what happened last week and what happened on the weekend probably made the Winnipeg Jets the most interesting team to watch in the offseason. Okay. Because it's decisions on Shifley, it's decisions on Wheeler, it's decisions on Connor Hellebuck. Uh, it's decisions up and down the lineup, and we're curious to see what this team is going to... Pierre-Luc Dubois, I didn't even mention him. Mm-hmm. He might be outside of Connor Hellebuck, the biggest decision here. Um, this is going to be a, a different-looking team next season because I don't think the Winnipeg Jets can afford to let players ride out their contracts. So I think this is going to be a... I think this will be a frisky summer for uh, for Kevin Cheveldayoff. Well, it's too bad because those Jets whiteout parties looked pretty awesome. The fan oh, base looked like they were they? hungry for something, and it's now turned oh, into... No. As you said, some drama over there. Um, drama. Well, Jeff, appreciate it this morning. Uh, we'll chat with you yeah. next week. Enjoy night one. Thanks for playing the Gordon Lightfoot. We'll see what happens tonight. Yes. Speaking of drama, everything around the Maple Leafs, right? Oh, we'll of course. Tonight. Of course. Uh, we'll chat with you next week. Thanks, Jeff. Ten hot dogs, Ailish? Ten? Yeah, don't even. But that's in the past. That's in round one. We're in round two now, okay? We don't, we don't discuss such matters. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Uh, Jeff Merrick hosts the Jeff Merrick Show and co-hosts the 32 Thoughts Podcast. And our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Got to be honest, not surprised there's drama in Winnipeg. Uh, what kind of result were they expecting when they put a Band-Aid on a wound that was gushing? Oh, wow. It's vivid. Well, the tarot card didn't give us anything gruesome, so <laughs> you I, are. I thought I would. Uh, Should we no, pull but, one for Winnipeg? <laughs> but no, I mean, there's just like, clearly there was a toxic oh, nature at the end of last season. Then they bring in the ultimate good guy in Rick Bonus, and he turns into the ultimate bad guy by the end of the season, calling out guys and being just completely, yeah, I, like, I think he just told it out how it was, yeah. honestly. And I think I, they just didn't want to hear it. And probably not bad guy, but you can't expect someone to come in and fix the behavior of 25 individuals. Like they are, they've got something nasty, <laughs> rotten at the core going on in Winnipeg. It just seems like that is fact. And it was always overly hopeful to just assume that a coach could change things in a material way. It lasted a little bit, but then push came to shove and it got, you know, it got uh, to the point where it, 
it was a stressful situation once again. They encountered failure once again, and it went exactly as many would have expected it to go. Like Kevin Shovedayoff, he's been around forever. He gets the free pass, man. He doesn't do much. He doesn't fix existing issues, and yet he's one of the longest-tenured general managers in the league. It's actually remarkable to me. It's funny that Jeff said that maybe Sutter was, like, shocked or surprised that he got fired, that I could have bet my life put the house on that, right? That he was going to get fired? Yes, that that locker room hated yeah. that guy. And I mean, he, he, needs, he needs Kevin Sheffield. That's his stick, and I get it. Like, he's, you know, he's kind of grumpy old man, but it wasn't working. That team did not respond, and look at the results that you got as a team. Yep. Like, it seemed like the easy first step. And he's the opposite of bonus. He's mm-hmm. the guy who really only has a limited shelf life because he's abrasive and hard to play for. It had a great effect two years ago. He won the Jack Adams Award. They turned things around. They were great. Ran into the Edmonton Oilers in the playoffs. But that act wears thin, and boy, did it ever wear thin quickly uh, for Calgary. Yeah, that's the one That's the one change you can make. He does – his extension kicks in in July, though, and he'll get paid all of that. He didn't even get to start <laughs> – the contract he signed after winning yeah. the Jack Adams before he was shown the door. It's a good spot to be in, getting paid when you're not doing anything. Uh, but, yeah, problems in Calgary and Winnipeg, that's for sure. Um, what are your thoughts on Paul Maurice? Because he, we didn't even talk about, like, the coaching battle that's going to go on here in round two. Um, I believe he's 4-0 all-time in game sevens. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty damn good record. And Paul Maurice got up and left Winnipeg mm-hmm. because, guess what, it was... Untenable. Untenable. Uh, yeah. I mean, Paul Maurice, Paul Maurice is interesting because it's almost the perfect coach, just like John Cooper was, to be mm. the opposition in a Leaf series because he is well-spoken. He knows how to use the media. He's going to be very, very vocal, He's very candid. He's a little bit more likable than John Cooper. I'll give you that. Like, I don't get the same, like, ugh, he is every time he, he is speaks. He's definitely, like, an angrier individual when things aren't going well. Like, John Cooper always keeps his composure, it seems. I meant in, like, on the outside looking in, when John Cooper gets on the podium, he's just got this, ugh, I, like, he frustrates me because he knows exactly what buttons yeah. to push, and he's got this smugness to him. He's smug. Yeah, and uh, the smug is, is like, learned over time, though. Yeah, like, he's yeah. always been very, very smart, clearly knows mm-hmm. what he's doing. But he's at the point now where he's so accomplished and so knows what he's doing that it's almost annoying. I get that 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, but Paul Maurice is, you know, of the same ilk. He will be very vocal. He will be trying to insert himself as much as possible. He will be playing mind games. It's another challenge, I guess, if you want to call it that, for Sheldon Keefe. Um, but frankly, it should not matter in the end. All right, um, let's keep with talk of coaches and ownership because I have something for something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Big news in the Ottawa Senators world yesterday. Mm. We know all about Ryan Reynolds. We know all about his bid or pending bid for the Ottawa Senators. Um, but did you see this one coming? Snoop Dogg has joined forces with LA-based producer, producer sorry, Nico Sparks? Not that familiar with Nico Sparks, but I'm sure you nailed the pronunciation on that one. Their bid to purchase the Ottawa Senators. He made this announcement on his Instagram page yesterday. Snoop Dogg said, amazing what Nico Sparks is trying to do with Ottawa, and I'm looking forward to being a part of that ownership team. I want to bring hockey to our community, Snoop wrote. I mean, it's uh, it's certainly headlines. Snoop Dogg looking to get into the Ottawa Senators 
fan base. I mean, it's I did not see this one coming. I'll tell this you that. This is the way of the world now, eh? It's You got money? Do something with it's it. It's impossible to buy it because it's so it's going to cost a billion dollars. Yeah, a billion it's dollars. So it's like now these groups and all these groups have to have celebrities attached to them. I mean, it's cool. I mean, the, one of the most effortlessly cool people in the of all oh, time is 100%. Snoop Dogg. Uh, he will definitely add to the content that we expected because he'll be involved. Um, I don't know which one's better. I don't know which one's better for so Ottawa, your, which one's better team. for the Melnicks. You got you to gotta be Ryan, Team Ryan Reynolds or Team Snoop Dogg? Well, what team are you? I'm kind of Team Snoop Dogg. You're Team Snoop Dogg. Okay, you're the, Snoop you're Dogg. The, one of the leaders of... Well, Waving the pom-poms for Ryan Reynolds. I, I was until Snoop Dogg entered the scene. Right, I want to see Snoop Dogg get his, like, I don't know. I just think, think he's hilarious I'll and take, he's super fun. I'll take fun. Reynolds because I think he will ultimately be more involved. Well, I mean, and the other Reynolds just did that with Wrexham. Like, I get it. But I just think Snoop Dogg's going to, like, lose Scan and it'd be really fun. It, it would be fun. We got to be on different teams here. It's just a plot twist. It makes it fun. Give me Reynolds. I, right. I think you're going to get more. Well, Reynolds, you'll I get think, more Wrexham-like content, yeah. and I think you can have that story and storytelling. I think it would be good to have that. I don't think it's necessarily bad to have Snoop Dogg, though. I mean, can these forces pick join one up? Of the, they can't just pick some random dude that owns like an investment fund at this point. It has to be one of these celebs. Like, it's, it's celebrity it's, pressure, one hundred percent. Literally, like it's Snoop Dogg versus Ryan Reynolds, and you can't pick anyone else at this point. I also kind of admire that Ryan Reynolds is putting like millions and millions of dollars into it. Like he sold that company for whatever it was. I like mean, he's, he's definitely the better pick is, in terms of like. I feel like Snoop Dogg would just be a face. Like yeah, he'll have yeah. some monetary I'm thing in that. it, but I feel like Ryan Reynolds is like actually going to be. A 20% owner sure, or whatever. For sure. And I, I definitely know that if we're talking about like legitimate uh, impact, I feel more strongly that Ryan Reynolds will have his hands in there and will do something, which he just did with Wrexham. But I mean, in terms of the content and the fun, Snoop Dogg would be hilarious. Also Canadian. Ty goes the Canadian. All right. Um, I got one more thing. This could be you. Listen up. Jay's Care had their month-long um, 50-50, and they're looking for the winner still. Really? $2.8 million, Justin. That's just an average night in Alberta. 2.8 <laughs> $2. $2. $2. $2. $2. $2. $2. $2. million. It's a lot of million money. Dollars. The, um, they haven't found the winner yet, so they go back in your pockets and make sure you didn't put this ticket in the dryer because someone needs to claim. We've evolved past ticket. Like, it can't be a ticket for $2.8 million. It can't it, be. It might be, It can't Justin. be in the laundry. No. It might be in the laundry. It cannot. It might be crumpled up in the bottom of a bin. We've advanced too far as a society to be depending on Where the is raffle it then? ticket. Because if you had it on your phone, you'd just look up the numbers. It might be. There should be an email sent to that. It certainly could person. be in the bottom of a bin somewhere, in a landfill. Someone's dog bunker ate my ticket. What are you going to do? Bunker eight, your $2.8 million. The number, 205-104-8083. How is Bunker these days with the, he's, the chewing? He's doing really well. Is he? We, we're in week two of puppy class, and he is honestly a stellar student. Would you admit Top if of he his wasn't, class. though? Yes, I would, because I'm not going to pump fake narratives into his brain. He's doing okay. really well so far. Does he listen to the show at home? Like, do you yeah, turn it on before it on, you leave? Yeah, full blast. He gives me his thoughts when I come home, his takes, what he doesn't agree with. Is his second round bracket released? It will be released today. Um, he did go, what's uh, five right? Five and three, yeah. Five and three. So we'll try it again. I actually need your advice, though, because when I posted the bunker bracket the first time, he leaned right quite a lot. People were 
ripping on me online that he was right paw dominant. But I swear to you, I measured the correct distance and parameters of the competition, which was that he would enter and pick a treat on either the left picture or the right picture. And a lot of the right ones were favorites, obviously, because I did home ice advantage. I did it the right way. So yeah, he picked mostly right and like right as in not correct, mostly Mm -hmm. right as in left or right. Yes. And so I don't know if I should change up the method this time around or just stick with it because people are like, oh, you only went to the right. I think maybe more runway. Okay. So like lengthen it up. Like, yeah, it's... He's getting better at stay. Mm-hmm. So I can really put the treats down and then say, okay, come and make him like run down the hallway. Yeah, think I think I just... A couple more steps maybe will okay. prevent him from immediately going to the same spot. Like he might have just like, that's his natural inclination. But there's a go. treat on both and they're both directly in front of him. So there's no narrative that he is only like just, a, just a little a Zoolander bit, uh, turning I think, right. I think you might have a little bit more variance with the results if there's a little extra runway for him to run down. So we got our bracket set for round two. Starts off tonight. Uh, Leafs and Florida Panthers, 7 p.m. They made the Maple Leaf Square bigger capacity, which is great. So if you're headed down there, there's more spaces to enjoy and to view. It's going to be crazy. Like the big tailgate, I think it's like doubled in size. And you do have to sign up in advance. You can't just show up. So mm-hmm. make sure you take a look at that. Um, all right. We got more to set up today on the show. We have EJ Raddick is going to join us, senior reporter at NHL Network and co-host of NHL Now. We have Luke Fox, NHL reporter at Sportsnet, of course. He got to write a news story this time around. We talked about that before game six or before the weekend um, last week about wouldn't it be nice for you to have something different? Well, he had something different for sure. And then Steve Dangle, host of the Steve Dangle podcast, of course, is going to join us at 830. It's a few days removed, but this is a moment for Steve Dangle. More than a lot of people, right? He's he's like dedicated his life <laughs> to this craft. And uh, we talked about it with Joe Bowen yesterday, who was the first person you thought of when the Maple Leafs finally made it through the first round. We asked a text line. A lot of people texted in Steve Dangle. There you go. Yeah. Dangle Bowen on the short list for sure of the people that would be thought of the most. We're also giving away concert tickets. Oh, we are. A little later I forgot on in the about show. that. We'll tease that. We'll keep you, you know, keep you around. We'll, we'll let you know what concert we're sending you to later on in the How show. We'll do it's that a, before uh, Dangle. 70s, 80s rock band. 70s? I'm pretty sure that they were formed in the 70s. Probably made their mark in the 80s, though. Okay, but so 70s, 80s. Okay. Yeah. Their app- first hit song. And apparently. Their massive hit song was 1973. Do we, do we call it the 20s, by the way? No. The Roaring 20s. We can't get there yet. Well, we have to. We have to. They're apparently very, very viable in the 20s as well. Not oh, the 1920s. Yeah. The 2020s. <laughs> the 2020s. Okay. It sounds awful. We it gotta does. Come up with no, we for that. I, just. The no. 10s? Do you say the 10s? No. Somebody that was born in like the forties could tell us, but I, I think we just were too far removed to be. It sounds weird to say the twenties, right? It does. Well, I we're guess. I have guess. To say I that. guess we're there. When we're in the forties, which is also. Sounds, I hate this. <laughs> yeah, this is awful. All Let's right. Let's move on. Um, okay, so send in your wake and rate picks as well. Blue Jays with a tough extra innings loss last night, and you know who it was. <sighs> These favorite Red Sox that hit the walk off home run. Who said that Alec Manoa is, uh, what was the words that they said about Alex, Alec Manoa? This is Verdugo. I don't know if there's like he a. He said he's like, does goes about it the wrong way. Goes remember? about it the wrong way, yes. Of course, he hits the walk off home run. Uh, okay, so we got 
Blue Jays game two against the Red Sox tonight. Panthers and Maple Leafs kicking off round two. You can send in your wake and rake picks from that at 590-590. We'll get to that quickly after Steve Dangle, a little baby wake and rake. Maybe we'll look at our series previews and see where the con Smythe is looking as well because now we're one step closer to the Stanley Cup, so we'll do a little re- regroup about that. Uh, but we got EJ Raddick on the other side of the break. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The field is set for the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, which get underway tonight with the Toronto Maple Leafs and Florida Panthers. New Jersey Devils joining the party last night. Last team to get into the final eight. Man, it's a different world in the final eight. Hey, you're looking around. Who's who's beating the Toronto Maple Leafs? I saw a stat about how long ago all these teams had won a Stanley Cup, and it is a it's a new era. It's opportunity, a new page. opportunity, yeah, for three new champions, first ever, first time champions with Seattle, Vegas, and it's escaping me right now. Who would have not won before? Dallas has won. The Leafs won, I think, once or twice. The Leafs have won. The Devils have won. Carolina has won. Florida Panthers. Florida Panthers is the answer to our question. You got there. Okay, so I let you get there. I think the last team still alive to win was the Carolina Hurricanes in 2006. So, yes, some fresh blood in the final eight. And to talk about that, the Maple Leafs. What's going on at West? We got EJ Raddick, senior reporter at the NHL Network and co-host of NHL Now with our friend Jackie Redman. Good morning, EJ. How are we doing this morning? I'm doing well. How are you guys today? Uh, we are doing pretty well. What do you make of the final eight? Are you uh, fired up for this this new blood that we're seeing? A couple interesting <laughs> matchups, a couple Canadian teams maybe staring at each other for a potential Stanley Cup final. What's your read on the final eight and ahead of round two here? Well, my read is that there is no read. I mean, it's that was a crazy that was as crazy a first round as we've seen. I mean, the Boston Bruins had the historic season just kind of washed out in an overtime of Game Seven, lost the last three games, so they're out. Uh, the defending champs are out. Um, Rangers opened their series with two wins. They lose four or five. They're out. Um, it was a crazy. It's been a crazy two weeks. I don't know what to say. So yeah, you're right. We got a lot of new. Players here, we got uh, second year Kraken. We've got, uh, you know, I guess the, that old school expansion, Vegas Golden Knights. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll get a Western Conference final of Vegas and, uh, and Seattle. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, I guess anything is possible right now, I would imagine, just based on this uh, these first couple of weeks. Yeah, that would be nuts. It seems like, yeah, you're right. A lot of opportunity for new players, young talent that's kind of exploded and taken this league by storm to have their say, whether it's Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Austin Matthews, and Jack Hughes, I think, put his name into that ring uh, this season. Um, you know, it wasn't, it was a kind of an up and down game for him, but it was a brilliant game by the New Jersey Devils. Uh, the Battle of New York, did it live up to the hype? And are you surprised that the, that the Devils were able to get the job done against the New York Rangers team that really fancied themselves as Stanley Cup uh, contenders? Yeah, it was, uh, it, was a, it was a series of kind of wild swings of, uh, you know, of emotion or, or of success. I mean, the Rangers won the first two games. They outscored the Devils 10-2. to They scored a bunch of power play goals. Uh, it looked like they would go across the river home to Madison Square Garden and kind of, you know, finish things off or at least put themselves in a great position. 
Game three, the Devils really played well, hung in there, started to find their footing, won in overtime. I mean, that should not be overlooked in all this, that, you know, if the Rangers score in overtime, they're up 3 nothing, and they're probably in a position to win the series. But Dougie Hamilton gets that overtime goal. Devils win the next game. The Devils, you know, both those teams really like playing on the road this year. They were two of the best road teams in the league, and so they exchanged uh, wins on the road in the first four. Devils were great at home in Game 5. I mean, a near-perfect game in Game 5. And, and they managed to – I mean, I thought even in Game 6, I was, you know, at the Garden for that one. In the first 17, 18 minutes, the Devils were really very good in Game 6. They got undermined by some penalty problems. And uh, the Rangers were able to find a way to, to get a few passes at Kara Schmidt. But the Devils came back in, in Game 7. They just – the Rangers just look – by the end – it was pretty clear the Devils were the better team. It's particularly five-on-five. Five. And uh, if it wasn't for really the, the, the sterling play of Igor Shesterkin, I think that you know things probably would have been over in six. But the Devils were really impressive. And, uh, you know, we'll see how they do against Carolina right now. Next coming up, and I, I agree with you, Jack Hughes, what a season. And you talk about a guy in his first playoff series, boy, he, he was just like, bring it on. So uh, he was he was been he's spectacular in this first round, and we'll see where they go from here. And they did all this without any Timo Meyer points um, in that first round. I mean, yeah. he, he got crushed last night. Glad to see that he's yeah. uh, he got back on the bench. But yeah. I mean, obviously not the impact on the score sheet. We weren't watching every single New Jersey Devils game. Was he doing more than maybe we see when you look at the numbers? And is it even better and more encouraging for for Devils fans that he probably has a lot more to give moving forward in the playoffs? Yeah, I, I think he played well. I mean, he was involved physically a lot. He was in front of Shesterkin a lot. He kind of got his attention on, on several different occasions. He had the attention of the Rangers throughout the series. He had a, a bunch. I think he had, you know, somewhere around 20, between 26 and 30 shots for the series. So he's getting opportunities. He had a good scoring chance last night. Shesterkin made a terrific stop on him. Uh, I thought he played well. It was one of those series where he just didn't get didn't get the point. So, you know, I think it does bode well that they were able to advance. And uh, it'll be interesting coming up against Carolina because they were kind of the finalists with the Devils for Timo Myers. You know, they were trying to acquire him, and particularly with the injuries that Carolina has subsequently suffered, you you would think that he would have been a really helpful piece for them. But uh, New Jersey ends up getting him. These two teams end up playing. And then kind of another subplot is, you know, I think that Carolina will try to, focus on pressuring Dougie, Andrew, uh, Dougie Hamilton because, uh, you know, he was obviously a former member of the Canes. He left by a free agency. And I think, you know, quietly behind the scenes, Carolina didn't feel like, they just felt like they didn't want to pay. He wasn't worth that money. And, you know, they felt like they could replace him. And I think they were, they were quick to talk about that. And uh, I'll be curious to see how they approach attacking him and how Dougie Hamilton plays in this series because he's had a great year. And he did a nice job in uh, in round number one. Yeah, it'll be an interesting series. Uh, two great teams, but teams that we are both, Ailish and I, skeptical can actually win the Stanley Cup, which leads us to the Toronto Maple Leafs, who have had the yeah. world open up to them, at least it seems here, with Florida upsetting Boston and getting through Tampa themselves. I mean, the theory has always been, hey, win around them. We'll see, you know, the possibilities are endless with this Maple Leafs team. And it seems like, you know, even the rest of the the bracket has broken favorably for them. So what is your read on the Maple Leafs? So they, obviously they, 
they survive a great challenge and what it means for them as a franchise here moving forward and and what the task is ahead of them with the Florida Panthers. Should they be considered what they are, which is Stanley Cup favorites if you look at most sports books? Well, uh, I think the favorite is probably the last thing you want to be this year. So, I mean, that's that's the first thing. But, uh, you know, I mean, they, they got through that round that was, as you guys know, you guys document it, you're talking about it all the time for the last, you know, bunch of years, it's it's been a good team that has not been able to find a way to get over that hump in the first round. It wasn't easy. It wasn't pretty. I thought they were outplayed in five of the six games, but it doesn't matter. They won, and they're on to the next round. And you're right. The path has kind of cleared dramatically. Um, you know, they, they're playing a Florida team that, uh, you know, is kind of an upstart at this point, right? They were a team that barely got in the playoffs. If you run the league standings, I mean, they're actually 17th. I think Calgary ended up with more points than Florida. So, um, you know, if you look at it that way, you're saying, well, you know, they're in a great spot. Now, I'm sure that the Boston Bruins thought they were in a great spot too, and that didn't work out. The Florida Panthers right now are certainly a different team than they were uh, for a good part of the regular season. They're healthier now than they were for most of the season. Uh, Their group of forwards is a really – a really good, strong, dynamic group that can score goals. I'm not, I haven't been as impressed all year with their group of defensemen, but they found a way to get it done. Uh, Brandon Montour, you know, maybe he's the best defenseman in the playoffs right now, the way he's played. Um, and now they're back to Sergei Bobrovsky in goal, and Bobrovsky has got a, he's got a track record of, uh, of being a successful goalie in this league for a long time. I mean, he's a, he's a two-time Vezina Trophy winner. So uh, they're feeling it right now, the question mark, really will be for me is like, you know, are they out of gas at this point after that kind of, uh, you know, crazy emotional series against Boston, or can they keep moving in the right direction? Uh, I look at the two games the two teams played down the stretch, and I think that that Wednesday night game that Florida played in uh, in Toronto, uh, where Alex Lyon played very well, and I believe they won in overtime, kind of started this run. For Florida, um, they played twice. They had two really competitive games down the stretch. I think it has a chance to be a really good series. The key will be for me is Toronto's ability to handle Florida's forecheck, which just uh, ate the Bruins' defense alive. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, Florida's the ultimate wild card team, and there's some like there's some hints of Tampa Bay within Florida, but it is a much different task. I do want to trace back to the first round and and what might be different, though, with Toronto, because I think you nailed it. I I do think Tampa was the better team, I guess, if you just look at the run of play out of five of six games, but the Maple Leafs did find a way and do something that they haven't done before, or at least in this era, which was win when maybe it wasn't expected. What do you think the difference was for the Maple Leafs in round one and how they're different this year compared maybe to previous seasons? Well, I mean, I think they just really keep playing in the games. And, I mean, it's it's silly to say that. You know, I know I coach youth hockey teams in the past, and I would tell the kids, just keep playing because, the, you know, the the games are uh, – they're fast. Uh, things are going to happen, and you're going to fall behind. You may get – you may, you know, move – you may have the lead in the game. You just have to keep playing all the time. You take penalties. There's just adversity. And I think the Toronto Maple Leafs did a great job this year of just continuing to play through any adversity in the game, no matter what the situation. And I think a lot of that goes to the addition of Ryan O'Reilly. I just think uh, that's a guy who's who's a gamer. He's won a Stanley Cup. He's won the Conn Smythe Trophy. He was a captain in St. Louis. He's been a leader. 
I mean, they have really good players at the top of their group in Toronto. I mean, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares. I mean, Riley has been has had a terrific first round. I mean, they've got some really good players. They've added some some nice pieces to the puzzle. But I think Ryan O'Reilly's impact uh, goes beyond just what he's been able to do on the ice. I think he's one of those guys that can be a calming influence in the game. And you can see it. They, they're down by a couple of goals against Tampa. They just keep playing. They find ways to get back in the game because they, with the players they have, the high-end players, that they're really not out of a game if they're down a couple late. They have guys that can score with one shot. So I think their ability to play through adversity this year has been a big plus for them. And, you know, I think Ryan O'Reilly, that addition was a, was a really important one for a lot of reasons. Yeah, and surely Ryan O'Reilly will be seeing a lot of Matthew Kachuk, who kind of holds the key, it seems, for the Florida Panthers, although you write about Montour and Sergei Bobrovsky being big X-factors uh, as well. Uh, let's go out west in the Edmonton Oilers, and maybe there's a crash course for Canadian teams here into the Stanley Cup final, uh, but Edmonton will have to do its part to get there. And this... This time of year is all about adjustments, right? Coaching adjustments. Can they find the right mix? Can they find the right combination or adjustment to put their team in an advantageous scenario? And it feels like no team has an adjustment quite like putting Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid on the ice together. Uh, Leon and Connor reunited, and that gets them through the LA Kings. Is that like the most powerful coaching tactic in the last, what, 10, 20 years of the NHL? Well, I mean, I don't know if you want to even say it's a coaching tactic is to say you have it to use you have it you know it's it's uh it's a monster move to be able to throw those two guys out there together they're arguably the two best players in the league right so i mean mcdavid certainly isn't dry if he isn't two he's probably three so uh and dry is such a a force in the postseason so yeah i mean that is you know, the games get played, right, and it's like, you know, it's like everybody makes a lot of, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs line combinations and whether O'Reilly should have been the third center or be on the second line. And, you know, there are 20-minute periods. Things happen in the periods. You can move guys around. When you have those type of pieces on your bench, I mean, you're always able to to make moves like that in different circumstances. And you don't have to do it for the whole game. You can do it in, in situations. And I think that's the beauty of having – you know, adding pieces to the puzzle. The Leafs added some of those pieces, and so they have. So their coach has more options on his bench, and the same is true in Edmonton, where Jay Woodcroft has a lot more options on his bench with the additions they've made over the last couple of years. And he's got the ultimate option in being able to put those guys together. And uh, you know, it's opened up nicely for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, you know, out west, they're going to have their hands full. I think with Vegas. Vegas has just quietly gone about their business all year. They are the number one seed in the West. They've been really good at winning one-goal games all year long. Um, they've played with a number of different goalies, and yet they haven't risked too, missed too much of a beat. They've got a big, strong defense. And the thing I like about Vegas is that uh, you know they have first-line players who belong on the first line, second-line players on the second line, third-line players, fourth-line players right on down the line. They're really slotted well, and now Mark Stone is back in the lineup, and he's another guy. He's a gamer. He's a little bit like O'Reilly in that sense. He, he's just somebody that that leads that group. So uh, that should be a great series, but you're right. Edmonton is, I mean, before the playoffs started, you know, when you looked at everything, I ended up picking Edmonton to win the cup. I don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, they had a lot of wrong picks as well uh, <laughs> as we started this. So, um, so we'll see how it plays out, but, uh, but Vegas has been an interesting team this year. And I'm, I'm looking forward also to the, the matchup of, of Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel, because obviously McDavid has moved far ahead in his career. 
but it's exciting to see those two guys who were, you know, the talk of the draft way back when, one, two at the top, getting to play each other in a, in a playoff series. Uh, we've got EJ Raddick on the line, senior reporter at NHL Network and co-host of NHL Now. Um, last one for you here. We we talked about, you know, the big David and Goliath, and that was the Boston Bruins, who obviously uh, kind of shocked the world with the way that they crumbled. Um, I, I wonder what you think about what is next for them. So they have a lot of a lot of question marks. They gave up a lot to kind of go all in here. Orlov, Hathaway, Bertuzzi, they're all rentals. They I think they took a cap penalty for trying to structure around the Bergeron and, and create contracts. Like they did a lot to try to make this year a cup win. And there is a kind of a boomer bust. And then there's obviously Bergeron's future. I mean, there's a lot of things I just laid out that we don't know what's next for the Bruins. How do you think that they start to address maybe the changing of the tide here? Well, I guess they'll have to get the word from Patrice Bergeron and, and David Krejci about mm-hmm. what their futures hold. I mean, uh, you know, these guys are both now 37, 38 years of age. Uh, you know, they came back on the one-year contracts. It seems when you watch Bergeron that maybe this was it for him. Um, if he goes, does David Krejci come back and play? Uh, they still have some terrific players, obviously, within their group with Pachinak and Marchand and Paul, and you go down that list, and they're still pretty good on defense. With uh, with McAvoy and, and Lindholm, but um, you know it'll be interesting for Don Sweeney. I mean, they did kind of go all in, and I don't blame them. They had, you know, they have older players that they're trying to win with, and that's the case. The window is is shrinking. I think the Bruins, when you look at this last and fifteen years in their history, I mean, they've done really well to keep the window open for a long time and be a really competitive team. I mean, we've seen how Chicago, which won three times, right, that window eventually closed, and they haven't really been a force over the last five, six years, and eventually now they're in this complete, like, teardown, you know, demolition that they're undergoing now. And even in L.A., they had to kind of go through some down years, and then they were able to retool Pittsburgh has kind of been able to stay afloat until this year, Washington. But, like, Boston has done a good job of it, and they've gone to the finals on several occasions. They won the President's Trophy three times, including this year. But I think now they're going to have to really take a a good hard look at things because without Bergeron, if he decides to step away, and even if he comes back, I mean, he just has to be, you know, better supported through the middle. So that's going to be something else they're going to have to consider. So I think they've got a lot to sort out there. But it's uh, it's unfortunate for them. I mean, it was a historic season for the Boston Bruins, and it does. You know, when you look back at this now and you move forward in in sports, right? We see it a lot, obviously, in the NBA. We see it in Major League Baseball. This idea of load management and resting guys, and you know, in the NHL, like when you look at what happened to the Bruins, I mean, if you're in management of a particular team, if you're in a situation where you are have any kind of cushion, or you're in the playoffs, I mean, you really have to start thinking about, hey, maybe we're better off resting guys and trying to manage the situation because clearly Bergeron ended up getting hurt, I think, late in the season, but he may have had that injury, you know, down the stretch. Uh, Krejci had injury problems. Olmark was not right, and he was dealing with something. I didn't really understand why they didn't go back to Swayman earlier in the series, mm-hmm. especially if they re- if they knew he was dealing with something. So I think there's a lot to sort out there, but uh, it's it's you know, it's got to be really disappointing for everybody there after such a historic season to go to go out in this manner.
Yeah, immensely. I mean, you can kind of quibble with some of the decision making. I think the Allmark one being the uh, the one that stands out the most, at least for me. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, yep. ultimately, it should have been their series to victory or to win. And the fact that they didn't get hey. past the first round, one of the bigger disappointments we've seen in recent memory no in the question. NHL. Uh, EJ, this no was question. fun. Uh, we appreciate you coming on this morning. Uh, look forward to your coverage with Jackie and Bruce continuing down the stretch here. Uh, and enjoy the rest of the playoffs. It should be a fascinating final eight in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, no question about it. We're happy to be on in Canada now mm-hmm. on Sportsnet between four and six. So uh, that's exciting for us, exciting for Jackie. So we're looking forward to It's going to be a crazy <laughs> couple of more weeks. Who knows? Maybe we'll be up there oh. traveling uh, domestically between <laughs> Toronto and Edmonton. You never know. There you, you go. Stop by and do the show in person with us. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> there you go. That would be. I'd be happy to do it. Great, thanks, uh, EJ. Thanks again for uh, jumping on with All us. Right, that's you got EJ, it. That's EJ Raddick, uh, senior reporter at the NHL Network and co-host of NHL Now. Yeah, big, big, big failure for the Boston Bruins. I uh, I got a someone texted me like, you know, Giannis defending the loss and the failure and all that stuff. I wonder if any of the Bruins <laughs> felt the way Giannis did. We did, after definitely they... did not hear that. No, we didn't. I mean, uh, and I don't know. I don't know. Again, how I don't know how one. you could That's feel tough. that. It's because, again, it's not the same situation. There's a lot of last dance vibes. There's, a, you know, there's the consequences of losing. Being, hey, Giannis isn't retiring next year. He's still got a lot of runway left on his career. But when you're supposed to do something. I don't know how it can't be considered a failure. And and no Boston Bruin, I don't think, beginning with Cam Neely, would ever take any solace in the fact that there's a learning process with Boston because there's no other way to spin that loss. A tough uh, 24 hours in Boston, too. The Bruins blown out um, in terms of their season aspirations. And then last night, the Celtics dropped game one against the Sixers, which was completely unpredictable. Um, James Harden, I think it's 45 points. They were plus 500 on the money line. Like, it was not supposed to go that way. This is the best time of year, full stop, at least for me. NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, it's all gravy. But the best part of it right now is it seems like there's no obvious option who's going to win. Anything could happen. You look at all 16 teams remaining in both competitions. Is there any that have, like, no chance? Miami, maybe? New York Knicks, maybe? Florida Panthers, maybe? You can't count that guy out. Even the ones that have no, you'd think have no chance, mm-hmm. have authored some of the great stories of this playoff already. Sixers did that without Embiid as well. It just seems completely wide open. Maybe both competitions are devoid of like truly, truly amazing, amazing teams like the Colorado of last year and, I don't know, I guess the Warriors of five, six years ago. You never count the Warriors out. I've got to be honest. If you jumped on the Warriors earlier, you're smart because there's no proven entities at all in the NBA right now. And if it's wide open, why wouldn't you trust the team that never loses? We got some picks in for that. You know, Jules is taking her Warriors tonight in the wake and rake. So 595.90 if you want to sprinkle some bets in for us. We've got Jays and Red Sox and obviously Leafs and Panthers starting off tonight. Uh, That's all to come on the show. We've got Luke Fox on the other side of the break. We've got tickets to give away to a concert we will name later in the show. And Steve Dangle give us the walkthrough of his emotions over the last two days. All to come on the Fan Morning Show.